Good morning, family. You know, in ideal situations, an expecting mom will hold a baby in her body for nine months. That's 40 weeks or around 280 days. Now, for perspective, the Major League Baseball season, the entire season, is around 26 weeks, which means, in theory, you could play a full Major League Baseball season and then three-fourths of another Major League Baseball season before a full-term pregnancy is completed. Nine months of collaborating with the hand of God, creating life and organs and systems, and then labor, which I have heard is not the most pleasant way to spend your time. And, and what do you get? A day. A day to acknowledge you. I need to speak to a manager uh, about this, please. Uh, uh, here's, here's my suggestion. Hear me out. We go January through September as mother's season, and then October would be a transposed birthday month. If your birthday fell in those first nine months and you were a mom, we get to celebrate you again in October, and then it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and, and, and we start over uh, the calendar. Um, you know, in, in, all, in all seriousness, um, for my mom and my grandmother and my, my mother-in-law, and at this juncture of my life, the most important mom in the universe to me, uh, my wife and the mother of my children, Hannah Chidima Ogwaya. Yes, I gave her a Nigerian middle name. Chidima means God is good and Igbo and goodness gracious, God is clearly good because of the moms he has put in my life. Uh, thank you all so much. I, I hope you feel special and appreciated today. You are truly loved and cherished, and um, happy Mother's Day to you. Now, I know that today can also be a painful reminder of loss or of want, and if you're feeling any of that, I also want to make sure that, that it's stated that, that you are loved and valued on a galactic level, and very specifically, God chooses to be close to those who are grieving. So if today is hard for you, um, you are loved and appreciated and valued, and God is near you today as well. Now today, we're going to be continuing our focus on, on, on things that Jesus said. And um, I will start, and then my cousin Sam Lee will, will come up and clean up whatever mess I inevitably make here. Uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew 15, where Jesus said, Woman, you have great faith. And i got to be honest, when I saw the, the, the speaking schedule, and I saw that Steve and Sam were going to be uh, speaking on this subject, I was like, man, how are Steve Kennard and Sam Powell going to handle this very challenging text on Mother's Day? Uh, but no such luck. You're, you guys are getting uh, uh, me and Lee uh, uh, today. So, Let's take, take a look here at Matthew 15. We're going to read from verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. This is going to be our, our main text for the morning, and what I hope to do is highlight this mom's faith and her perseverance in view of Jesus and show what we can learn from her. 
So in order to understand what's going on in this passage, we need to understand the characters that are in play here. You have the Canaanite woman. You know, generations before this, uh, Noah, as in Noah's Ark, uh, had a son, Ham, uh, who had a son, Canaan. Now, Canaan's descendants were challenged uh, people. Um, there, was, there was idol worship and, and other practices that were despised by God. Um, that was the culture. That was the Canaanite culture. Actually, the song, I'm on my way to Canaan's land, uh, most likely is, is reference to, to the Israelites finally uh, getting the location of the promised land, um, and they put that in their little camel GPSs or however it works to end their, their, their wandering in the desert. Uh, Joshua 1 tells us that God was going to work on the side of the Israelites in opposition to Canaan. The fall of the walls of Jericho, that, that incredible story of, of how, how they walked around the walls of Jericho and the walls collapsed and they entered into Jericho. Jericho was entrance into Canaan. This is God working against Canaan on behalf of the Israelites. Um, this woman in, in this passage in Matthew wouldn't just be then a foreigner. She wouldn't just be a person not uh, connected to the lineage of Abraham. Uh, she wouldn't just be just a Gentile. Um, but by nothing more than the family she was born into would have been seen as someone whose ancestors were enemies of the God of Israel. You know, the word Canaan in Hebrew literally means to be brought down by a heavy weight, which is fitting because this was her life. On top of that, her daughter was demon-possessed. You know, I think of the times that that our, our sons have had a scrape or a cut or a bruise or a runny nose or, 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 or they were sick in any way. And my wife will stop whatever she's doing. She will stop whatever she had planned to do to band-aid and ice and medicate and kiss and, and hold these kids until they get better. And there is magic power in, 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 a, in, a, mother, in a mother's love when it comes to uh, uh, taking care of your kids. Um, this woman would have been held down by the weight of her genealogy, held down by the weight of social constraints, held down by the weight of spiritual limitations, held down by the weight of her daughter's grave condition in this situation. And in the middle of all of that, this mom teaches us so much, as moms do. And I want to identify three of the things that she, that she teaches us today. The first thing that we can learn from this incredible mother is that she knew who Jesus was and she knew what Jesus could do. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Heal my daughter. You know, a couple years ago, uh, I was taking a, a course on, uh, on the New Testament, um, specifically about Paul's letters that he wrote. And one of the required readings was this book called Reading Paul by Michael Gorman. Um, I needed the book. I waited too long, actually, to, uh, to start my studies um, for, for this class, and I couldn't find this book anywhere. Amazon was like, hey, we have it, but you got to wait 11 months. I was like, what? Come on. Uh, and I couldn't find it at any libraries or any, any Christian bookstores. Um, but after doing some more research, I found that there was a couple copies of this book in a private seminary school's library that was 15 minutes from where my wife and I lived. So um, we snuck in. <laughs> we snuck in to this private institution library to try and get this 
uh, get this book. And, and, and we spent maybe eight hours a day for a couple of days uh, taking notes, um, trying to get as much information as we could. And on one of the last days we were there, this guy that I, I thought worked at the library started looking over at where Han and I were sitting and he made his way over to us. And now I'm thinking we got caught, uh, you know, what, what's the, what's the, the, the max penalty for breaking into a, a seminary school library? Uh, so he comes in and he asks me, hey, uh, uh, what, are you, what are you guys doing in here? What, what are you reading? So I tell him the, I tell him everything. Hey, we're here for a class. Um, I couldn't find the book anywhere. We have it here. We're trying to get as much reading as, as we can before our, the, this, this, um, this class starts. And he asked me what I thought of the book. And I told him, hey, I think it's great. I think I think Michael Gorman does a great job at, at breaking this stuff down. I do disagree with some, with some of his stances, and here's why. And we're talking, talking, talking. When I close the book, you know how books will have the picture of an author on the back, bottom right corner? It turns out the person I'm talking to is Michael Gorman. Just happened to be that the place that I could find this book is in the library of the seminary school that he works at, and now we're talking about his book, and I didn't even know it was him. You know that this this story actually ends up uh, him him taking me to the dean's office, and and them offering me a spot in this school. Uh, you know, we Hannah was was uh, was pregnant, and we uh, ended up moving twice since then, so um, it didn't work out at the time. But goodness, I was in conversation with the author, talking about the content of the book without even knowing who I was talking to. You know, when we pray, we aren't speaking to an automated service or a sales rep or a stand-in. We are in dialogue with the creative power of the universe. This woman engaged Jesus in a way that clearly understood who he was on multiple levels. So I got to ask the question, do you know who you're talking to? You know, in 1 Peter 3.12, it says the eyes of God are on us. The ears of God are attentive to our call. This mom got it. Do you? Do I? Do we live and love like people who know Jesus? When we read the Bible, do, do, do we look at this instruction of, of, of for our life as something that hey, we, we know the author? We know the author and the perfecter. I hope our lives show that. I hope that the, the way we carry ourselves show that this is not just random instruction. This is the word of God, and we know who that is. She knew who Jesus was and knew what Jesus could do. Now, secondly, she practiced proper perspective perseverance. She practiced proper perspective perseverance. She asked Jesus for something, and Jesus said, nothing. He was silent. So she gave up. She told people that she tried, but it didn't work out. She threw in the towel because her request was not responded to. No. She teaches us that we cannot confuse Jesus' silence for Jesus' absence. Just because we do not get the answer we're looking for in the time that we wanted, even on spiritual matters, that does not indicate a valid reason to give up. In the beginning, there was nothing, no sound, no light, just quiet darkness. But the power of the Father, Son, and Spirit were right there. God was fully present, even in complete silence. 
And I think on a very profound level, there are going to be people watching this video on the service today that for no other reason than the family you were born into, the color of your skin, the country of your origin, you might have been made to, to feel an absence of hope or an absence of value, maybe even an absence of God. But please, please persevere. Silence is not absence. At many times, it is a prerequisite for a miracle. So hang in there. This mom teaches us perseverance. Lastly, and this is the part of the text that, that's, that's very challenging. Um, she teaches us that she was willing to take whatever Jesus was going to offer. Let's take a look here at verse 24. So he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Even the dogs, though, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, she was willing to take whatever Jesus was going to give. And honestly, if someone was going to understand and appreciate and respect and agree with the importance of feeding your own children before you feed the pets, it was going to be a mom. This woman, a Canaanite Gentile who was not connected to the, 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 the lineage of Abraham, was not a lost sheep of Israel. Canaanite woman or Canaanite king, it would not have mattered it was not their time yet. She was not who Jesus was there at that time to save. It wasn't their time yet. There was a plan for this. There was an order. It was going to start with, with the Israelites and, and God's chosen people. And then it was going to become everyone else. But in this moment, it was not time. You have to feed the children first. Only a terrible parent would risk not having food for the kids because you gave it to the dogs. But a mother's faith can change Jesus' mind. You know, in John 2, we find Jesus in a wedding, and his mom does what moms do. Hey, son, can you uh, make sure that everyone gets, some, gets something to drink? That's a, such a mom thing to do. And Jesus says, Mom, it's not, it's not my time yet. I had a plan for the miracles that I was going to do and the order, and, and, and now you're asking me to... And then he does it. Jesus changes his mind and follows the instruction of his mom. He broke the order because of the faith of his mother. Now, moms have a very special place in God's heart. Now, maybe because you both bring life into the world and you both try your hardest to set up an environment for your kids to, to thrive, I, 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 don't, I don't know. But moms clearly have a special place in God's heart. Now, this, this passage can, can, can sometimes get, I think, misunderstood as an insult. This was not an insult at all. This was order. This was divine order. But even in the plan for order, this woman's faith made Jesus reconsider and here's what, here's what the Canaanite mom says. Yes, you are right about that order, Jesus. But I will take the crumbs. 
gladly. The prodigal son was willing to be a slave in his father's house. It's better to, to one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather work security in heaven than be a king in a different location. I will take the crumbs, is what she teaches us. You know, my mom has turned crumbs and leftovers into coarse meals. My wife has turned crumbs and empty apartments into luxury suites. Moms have this power to take just scraps and make miracles out of it. Are you willing to take what Jesus is giving or are you looking for your value and success and purpose and meaning from a broken world that's marketing poison as the cure? Woman, your faith is great. And then he heals her daughter. Now Sam's going to continue our, our, our time today talking about uh, this woman's sacrifice. But I want to want to make sure that, that, that I say that, that the, the Christian woman is a miracle. And I'm so, so grateful for you guys and your faith. Thank you very much. Good morning, church. Uh, first of all, thank you, Stephen, for your words, for breaking down Matthew 15 for us, and for teaching us about the persistent faith of this Canaanite woman. My name is Samuel Lee. And I have the privilege of working as a youth and family minister here in Queens. And before we jump into anything, I just want to say happy Mother's Day. You know, I grew up for about the first 10 years of my life in in Seoul, South Korea. And I grew up without a Mother's Day. Because in Korea, you only have one holiday. And it's kind of a combined celebrating both parents. But as the son of a single mom who watched her work tirelessly to raise two kids in a foreign country, I am so grateful that I get to celebrate Mother's Day. And I'm so grateful that I get to celebrate my mom today. And so, you know, I just want to say a special thank you to my mom uh, for raising me the way she did. Um, And now as a married man, I just want to also say thank you to Andy. And to all the moms that are watching, thank you for all that you do. And as the son of a single mom, I just want to say a special thank you from the bottom of my heart to all the single moms out there because I know how hard it is that you work. You know, the story that we've been taking a look at here today in Matthew 15, it's a really interesting story for all the reasons that that Stephen talked about uh, her persistence, but it really ends off in such a positive way as it is one of the few moments in the Gospels where Jesus is genuinely surprised by the faith of another person in a good way, and he even remarks at the end, woman, you have great faith. And as Stephen did a great job explaining, part of that great faith that she had that surprised Jesus was a persistent faith. To not stop, no matter in the face of rejection or denial or no matter what else, she was not willing to stop. But but is persistence all there is to it? Or is there more? You know, one of the things that I wondered reading through this story and studying it out is, is where is this Canaanite woman's husband? And there are many different possible explanations. Maybe she was widowed. Maybe she never had a husband. Or maybe she does have a husband. But maybe he just doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't have the same faith that she does. And so he's not there. 
But whether she was a single mom or a spiritual single mom, it seems from the context given that she seems to be fighting in her faith alone. And she seemed to have been fighting in her faith, especially for her daughter, alone for quite some time. But of course, despite everything, this woman does not give up. She is willing to fight through anything and everything for the sake of her daughter. She risked ridicule, embarrassment, rejection, and even her own dignity to see Jesus. And I think the thing that is truly amazing is on top of all this persistent faith and everything that she did, it really wasn't for herself. It wasn't for her own spiritual life. No, it was for someone else. It was for her daughter. And I think what surprised Jesus as much as the persistent faith is that this woman had an incredible sacrificial faith. You know, the story of this Canaanite woman here in Matthew 15 and her incredible sacrificial faith, it really reminds me a lot about my mom. We, My mom, my sister and I, we moved to this country back in 2004. And as a 10-year-old in 2004, I remember giving my mom the thumbs up of, of moving to a new country. But of course, when you're 10, you're not really comprehending what's going on all that much. And so, you know, it was just like I was closed my eyes in Korea, opened my eyes. I'm on an airplane, 16 hours, and I'm moving to a new country. And I'm just like, okay, cool. I guess we're on our way. But And I, I didn't really understand what it was that we were moving for. But as I grew older, as I started having talks with my mom, uh, she, she told me the exact reason why we moved. You know, a lot of people move to this country for different reasons. Opportunity, education, quality of life. Um, etc. But but none of that really mattered to my mom. Because in, in 2003 and 2004, she was a disciple in the church in Seoul, Korea. And our church, our church globally, were going through some really tough times. And there were a lot of chaos and things were just kind of falling apart. And my mom started to grow a little fearful. Not of herself and her faith. She was rock solid. But she started to grow fearful for her kids. And she started to really wonder, is this a place where my kids can grow up learning about the love that God has for them? And so in 2004, in November, she, along with our family, along with another family, the Hans, we decided to move. And she decided to take her two kids as a single mom to a country that she had never lived before learning a language she had never spoken before, learning a custom that she was not familiar with, moving to a place where she had no friends and no family because she believed that her decision to move would lead us and lead her kids to find God and see God just a little better, just a little more clearly, to see the love that he had for us just a little more. And it was an incredible sacrifice because she had not much to gain, but she had everything to lose. But she did it not for herself, but for her children that they might find God. You know, what kind of a faith do we have this morning, church? Do we have a sacrificial faith to lay down our lives for one another? You know, how far are we willing to go for the sake of someone else? 
What is too much? Or, or perhaps the better question is not what, but who? But of course, you might say, well, well, those are examples of a parent and a child. Of course, a parent is willing to sacrifice for their kids. But if we look in the Bible, is the standard really that much different for those that are around us? Because Jesus himself says in, first, in, in John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And of course, the Apostle John reiterates that exact statement in 1 John 3.16, where he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The Bible is consistent. But of course, laying down our lives for the sake of someone else, it is a lot easier said than done. Right? Having this level of sacrificial faith in a vacuum is nearly impossible. But that's what's wonderful about these two scriptures in John. It's not in a vacuum. Because there's Jesus. Because there's Jesus' sacrifice for us to look to. You know, this, this Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, yeah, she, she was motivated by her love for her daughter. But what was more important in this whole equation was her faith, her rock-solid faith in who Jesus was. Because she knew who Jesus was, and as she called him um, Jesus, son of David, she knew he was the Messiah, and she was willing, because of that, to risk everything to approach him. See, it is not about who we are sacrificing to, but why we are sacrificing. Because when we remember who we stand before, it is a lot easier to risk everything for those around. And you know, the world, New York, New Jersey, it really needs this kind of sacrificial faith now more than ever. Because there is so much pain and hurt. There is so much negativity and division and hatred in our world. But the sacrificial faith and the love of a disciple can change everyone and the lives of everyone that's around them. And that's why I think what Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 13, the sentiment, right? Love each other as I have loved you have the same sacrificial faith that I had, he also tells them, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. People see God when they see a sacrificial faith. You know, I, I really experienced that full on as a kid growing up. Now going back to my mom and her sacrifice, you know, her sacrifice didn't stop the moment we moved to this country didn't stop the moment our feet landed in the United States or the moment we first went to church. She sacrificed every single day of her life. And I saw it in how hard she worked. She would work six, sometimes seven days a week. She would work six days. She would take me and my sister. We would go to church. She would drop us back home and then go back to work. I saw that. I saw how she gave the best that she could possibly give 
to me and my sister in clothes and, and you know, in, in food and everything. And she would just take the leftovers. And I saw how she sacrificed just everything for her two children. And I know that that sacrifice was rooted in her faith in God. And if it wasn't, if it honestly was not for that sacrifice, I would not be here today. I would not be standing here. I would not be talking. I would not be preaching. I would not be a disciple. Because I know, I know how much of a knucklehead I am. And I know I'm not the type to just be met out on the street, to be invited out to church and to hear the word of God and change. I needed to see the sacrifice of my mom, her sacrificial faith, to move me to go after a relationship with God as a young 16-year-old kid to want to study the Bible. You know, like my mom, moms just in general, they don't really get a day off, right? Moms have to be moms every single day. But that's also the case with God, right? God doesn't get to say too much. God doesn't get to say, well, I've sacrificed for you enough, right? God is our God and he is our father every day. He is our promise keeper every day. He is our redeemer every day. And he is everything he tells us to be every day, which is why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, the pandemic, it's been hard on all of us right now. I mean, you look at the state of India and how much people are suffering over there. The pandemic has, has hurt us in different varying degrees to varying amounts and varying ways, but it's hurt all of us. You know, but, but I got to ask, when's the last time that we thought about the needs of our brothers and sisters? When is the last time that we went out of our way to do something purely for the benefit of another disciple, for the benefit of another person? to encourage them, to build them up, to, to strengthen their faith. And it came at the direct expense of our own selves and our own comforts. No, because it's, it's really hard to call something a sacrifice when you're not sacrificing. But that's something that I think our, our modern society has gotten so good at doing. Calling something a sacrifice without really sacrificing. It feels really good when you go to the grocery store and, and the, the, the checkout rings to whatever it rings to and they ask, okay, you want to change, you want to give your, the rest of your change to this, this worthy cause. And you walk away feeling like, man, I sacrificed so much, gave that whole 15 cents to whatever that cause was, right? And in many different ways it manifests where people sacrifice, but they don't really sacrifice. Not the way that God did it. Not the way that Jesus did it. On the cross. But God, you know, he's shown us what real sacrifice is. He's shown us. And he will continue to show us what true sacrifice really is. He says in Romans 8, as we come to a close, verses 31 through 32, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, as we go on to a time of communion, God was willing to sacrifice everything that he had. And the most precious of everything, his one and only son. And he did it, he did it in great faith that we would one day see his act of love, see his act of sacrifice, and one day that we would respond and reach out for him and have the same sacrificial faith that God had for us. So as we go into the time of communion, as we reflect on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, let us remember what Jesus did. Let us remember the life that he lived and the life that is possible because of his sacrifice. Let us pray. Lord and Abba, Thank you so much for just this time as we get to reflect on Jesus, his sacrifice, and your sacrifice. God, as we remember the body that was broken on the cross, as we remember the blood that was spilt, help us to not forget the sacrifice that makes possible the grace that we receive from you. God, thank you so much for being persistent with a sinful humanity, with our sinful lives. God, that you continue to love us, to care for us, to give to us. We are truly undeserving. And God, I just pray that we can respond in our hearts and in it with our actions and in our lives. The same kind of persistence and the same kind of sacrifice that really you had. Thank you so much. And I pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.